The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not, not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we continue through this mini-series preparing us for our next step in February of nominating elders and deacons, I first wanted to address a question um, that I've received from multiple people. Are the new elders and deacons replacing or being added to what we currently have? My answer is, who do you have in mind that you might want to replace? <laughs> Just joking. But honestly, um, this question is answered in our book of church order, and my hope is that over the next two Lord's Days, I will never again quote the book of church order as much as I'm about to. But it's part of our Constitution, and so it's fitting. In our book of church order in chapter 7, on church offices, it says, The ordinary and perpetual class of offices, sorry, perpetual classes of office in the church are elders and deacons. Ordinarily means that. They're just normal people. They don't need extraordinary gifts. The second is that the office is perpetual, meaning that it never ends. These officers are called to their duty, and they are ordained to it. Through nominations, examination, and the election of the church, we are confirming those who have been called to a definite office. As an officer ordained and installed, there's only three ways that they can be removed. They can step down from their position. They can be removed through church discipline and censure. Or, we, as a church, we can inst install a, a type of way of rotating through officers. Now, if we ever were to do that, the church would have to agree and approve that rotation. But I still, again, I want to say, if you have any questions about what's getting ready to happen in February, please come to me. Please come to our elders. Please come to our deacons and ask questions. Questions are good. We will never be afraid of questions. And as we come to this text before us this morning, this is a classic text. If you want to know what an elder looks like, I hope you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Many of you know I served on the examination committee at our presbytery level for people who were coming in to be ordained and to receive a license to preach the gospel. And one of our questions in that examination is, where do you go in scripture to find a definition or a description of an elder? If any of them came before us and didn't mention 1 Timothy 3, they were getting ready to get a lot more questions. 
But my hope this morning is that as we look at this description, we might come to an understanding of God's gift to his church. Elders are God's gift to the church. And what might surprise you is that the scriptures speak about elders all the time. This office isn't just something that's found in the New Testament. Although most of our doctrine is found based on the New Testament, it's found throughout all of scriptures. Because essentially, elders are God's under-shepherds. Elders are those who care for the flock of Jesus. But what I want us to see this morning, first, is what is an elder. Second, who is an elder. And for both of those, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy 3. And then thirdly, I want to answer the question of what do elders do? And for that, we will look at 1 Peter chapter 5. And so to begin, what is an elder? Well, Paul tells us an overseer is a desirable and noble task. And I hope your first question is, Tyler, wait, you just said elder, and then here our Bibles say overseer. What's the difference? Well, I hope what uh, I'm getting ready to show you that Scripture actually uses these two words interchangeably, elder and overseer, for the one specific office. As, uh, as I want you to see, the, the New Testament uses this Greek word found in 1 Timothy 3 is episkopos. That's what they translate as overseer. And if, you have a, if you're hardcore and still doing King James, your Bible will say bishop. An episkopos is an overseer or a bishop. And that might ring true in your ears because episkopos is where we get the word episcopal. That's why the Episcopal Church has bishops. Bishops are those who oversee and care for the church. But throughout the New Testament, we also see that Paul uses another word called presbyteros. And I, that better hit your ears just right. Because presbyteros is the word that we get for Presbyterian or for presbyter. And this Greek word presbyteros, Presbyteros is when you see in the New Testament, it translated as elder. And so I want to go to two different passages to help us see how the New Testament uses these two words. The first is in Acts chapter 20, if you will please turn with me there. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17. It's on page 929 of your pew Bibles. In Acts 20, verse 17, we find Paul addressing the elders at Ephesus. And we read, Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders, presbyteros, of the church to come to him. And then if you jump down a few verses to verse 28, this is what Paul says to these elders. Pay careful attention to yourself and to the flock in which this Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episcopos, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul is telling these elders, presbyteros, in the church in Ephesus to oversee 
episkopos, the church of God. As many commentators point out, it seems as though Paul is using these two words interchangeably to describe the same office. The second passage I want you to turn to is the letter, is Paul's letter to Titus. And in Paul's letter to Titus, we see Paul do the same thing there that we see in Acts 20, which is on page 998 in your pew Bible. In Titus chapter 1, Titus's task was very similar to Timothy's task that we see in 1 Timothy. And in Titus 1 verse 5, Paul uses these same two words again. This is why I left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order to appoint elders, presbyteros, in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. For an overseer, episkopos, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. We should see that Paul is speaking to the same group of people. The, the overseers of the church are the elders. And if you don't think that that is right, we have one more passage, in the passage that Ethan read in 1 Peter 5, where Peter says, So I exhort the elders, presbyteros among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, episcopontes, which is the verbal form of episcopos, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is why Paul, when we saw last week in his letter to the Philippians, he addressed the church and his leaders when he said, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, the church, with the overseers, episcopos, and the deacons. So we believe that elders and overseers are to be considered and seen as one group with a primary responsibility of overseeing an individual church. They have been tasked to love Christ's church as shepherds, overseeing them. And what's so interesting is what, what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Why is Paul writing this letter to Timothy? He says, I urge you to remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Timothy is putting elders and deacons inside the church to protect the church from the false gospel. Remember, this is what we saw last week. What did the apostles charge all the churches to do? To believe in the one true gospel that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He raised, was raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit to save sinners like you and me. 
What overseers are charged to do is to oversee the church, that it remains faithful to the gospel, that the flock of Christ might know who they are, but ultimately know who their great shepherd is. For all of Scripture teaches us that Christ is the good shepherd. He is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the one that has given his church all things through his death and resurrection. An overseer of the church of Jesus Christ isn't like administering a school or running a company or commanding a warship or overseeing subcontractors. Overseeing the church means loving people as Christ has loved us. Sinners saved by grace. These qualifications are much different. And if you notice, Paul is much less concerned about what people might have done other than he is focusing on who people truly are. He lists here 14 qualifications to my count. If I can, you know, I'm from Arkansas. I don't know if I can count that great. I counted 14. But he is focusing on character. He's focusing on the heart of an individual and what they believe because what they will believe shows in what they do. And so what are these qualifications? They must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if, any, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of Christ? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. What are the qualifications of an elder? He must exemplify godliness. We can compare this list to Titus 1 that I just read, or even to 1 Peter 5. And there, Peter says, elders are to be examples of the flock. These qualifications don't mean that an elder must transcend sin or lead moral, perfect lives. If that was the case, you wouldn't have elders. All of us would be fired on the spot. No one can do that except Jesus. But an elder must display a degree, a degree of Christ-likeness. They must reflect Jesus. Because when we look at this passage, who do we see? We see Jesus. We see the one who was self-controlled and sober-minded. He was the God of the universe. And he humbled himself to the point of a cross 
to die for his enemies in their sin, that they might be saved. A characteristic of an elder is they must be above reproach. This is akin, as one author said, to being respectable, righteous, and blameless, and holy. It is to possess a righteousness through faith that assures them of God's present exoneration. They are blameless in God's sight by virtue of the sufficiency of Christ's death for their sake. Elders are to be men who no one would expect wrongdoing or immorality, meaning they are to be someone that you would be shocked if they failed morally. Elders are to be men who love Jesus. This is a noble task. This is a high calling, but is absolutely necessary for anyone to lead the church of Jesus Christ to reflect the person of Christ. It reveals a quality and depth of godliness that are indispensable for the magnitude and gravity of what they have been called to. And Paul also says, he, he must be the husband of one wife. And to point out a biblical truth, that the qualification of elders, we must see the biblical clearly teaches that this office is only open to men. And at this point, many of you might be very upset. This might be really hard to understand. How could this be true? Hasn't the church evolved or grown up in its understanding that women are equal in the sight of God? Are we so simple to believe that women can't lead? And I want to say two things. First, as I said last week, God does not grow or evolve. God is truth. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Truth does not change. Truth does not evolve. And what the biblical evidence reveals is that an elder is a one-woman man. None of these qualifications or qualities are merely just local or just cultural in their nature. This comes, this call comes immediately before discussing overseers, where Paul says, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority to oversee over a man. And then Paul links leading a church to leading a family. And if you were here when we went through Ephesians, this is what the man, the husband, is called to do, to lead his family well, to love his wife as Christ loves and gave himself up for her, to love his children, to care for them, to bring them up in the Lord. Now, does this mean that women can never teach, nor can women have model godliness? Absolutely not. But what the scriptures teach is that eldership is more than just being gifted for ministry. Women can be and are gifted for ministry. But being an elder is something divinely appointed for a very specific office and role, just like a husband and a father is within a family. God has only called men to the role of elder. 
If you think and if you wish that were different, I promise you, you are not alone. But it doesn't matter what we wish or what we think. It matters what the word of God says. We are bound to uphold it. We are bound to change what we think to conform to the word and the truth of the scriptures. So an elder must be a male and must only have one wife. Now, of course, this excludes polygamy. That might be obvious to us, but it hasn't always been obvious in the life of the church. But this does not exclude someone who is not married. But what Paul actually has in mind of this one-woman wife or one-woman man is a man who is married and whose relationship is reflective of a biblical standard. Paul is insisting on a candidate whose relationship with God is such a loving commitment that it can be seen with his wife. That he loves her and cherishes her. That just as the church is the wife of Christ, so too we are covenantally faithful to one woman forever. For what God brings together, let no man separate. Paul is requiring sexual faithfulness. The question must be asked of any candidate, how are things in your marriage right now? And again, no marriage is perfect. But if your marriage is flailing, if a marriage has failed in the past, that is something we must talk about for our qualification to be an elder in Christ's church. The church is the bride of Christ. If an elder is to lead the bride of Christ, he must be able to faithfully and lovingly lead her and her alone. An elder must also be sober-minded, not a drunkard, self-controlled, disciplined, as Paul says to Titus. This is fruit of the Spirit. To be sober-minded, to be self-controlled, to be disciplined. Paul is warming against a particular manifestation of the lack of self-control. Drunkenness is a lack of self-control, and drunkenness leads to further sins, and it drags everyone down with you. An elder must not be impulsive. He must be able to submit to the Spirit and walk in faithfulness. An elder must be hospitable. You might think that's kind of weird. Why why must they be hospitable? Well, hospitality reveals kindness and compassion, but it also does something else. It allows other people to go into their homes and see how they manage their homes. It allows others to come in and see how they lead their family in action. Or are you only godly when it counts, when people are looking? How are you inside the home? Are you gentle inside your home, or are you violent? Do you yell and you scream at your children, but you would never ever yell at anybody else? 
This is why the qualification is, do you manage your family and your household well? Do you see the similarities? Do you see what elders are called to do? If you cannot manage your family, if you cannot love your family, if you cannot exemplify Christ to your family, you will never be able to do it for the church. And that is what God is calling elders to do. An elder bears the responsibility of the home. He's supposed to lead at home with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's Ephesians 4, 2-3. through three. That's not the home, that's the church. But if you can't do it at home, you'll never be able to do it in the church. Do elders teach their children the word? Elders are charged overseeing and teaching the entire covenant community of the church the word of God. From adults all the way down to the children. If you don't think our elders don't care about what's being taught to the infants, you don't know our elders of Christ Presbyterian Church. We care deeply. We take our vows seriously because we have been charged for overseeing Christ's bride. An elder must be able to reprove and rebuke and exhort. But do you know how that verse end, how that verse ends? With complete patience. As an elder you must ask yourself, are you a lover of money? Do you love it and just try to amass as much of it as you possibly can? Or do you see money as a delight in sharing and giving and being generous? Paul also qualifies elders as not a recent convert. If you were here last week for Sunday school, I read the parable of the sower. And the question is, have you been planted and taken hold of good soil? Have you been planted and are your roots deep into God's word? Do you live by what the scriptures teach? Do you live by the bread of life. This is why we as a session has ma have made the qualifications that to be eligible, to be eligible for, for nomination, you must be a, a member of Christ Presbyterian Church for at least two years. Not only to show that you are rooted in the word, but that you will be faithful to this church. Recent converts don't know how to battle issues. We love converts, right? We love evangelizing. We love people coming to know Jesus. But recent converts are not able to exhort when exhortation is needed, to teach biblical doctrine, to train in righteousness to oppose those who need to be opposed because they're leading the church astray. 
Last but not least, a qualification for an elder is the ability to teach. And we've seen this through and through, right? We've seen this in multiple of these qualifications. But the main difference between an elder and a deacon is on this qualification. An elder must be able to teach. They must be able to hold firmly the trustworthy word as taught so that they might be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. As I said last week, they must be able to explain and share the apostolic faith. That is Christ and Christ alone who saves sinners. Throughout all of church history, R.C. Sproul says, the church's biggest threat has not been from those who are outside the church. Throughout the entire Old Testament and throughout the entire New Testament, the biggest struggle the church had were wolves who claimed to be sheep. People who led the church astray just a little bit. For people who taught what the itching ears were wanting to be taught. What elders must be prepared for is for wolves coming to devour Christ's. This leads to my last point. What do elders do? They guard Christ's sheep with every ounce of their life. Because they know what it costs them. Because they know that Christ gave his life for the sheep. As Peter stated in his epistle, As Paul says in Acts 20, I know after my departure fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock, and from among among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says, be alert. Elders are shepherds. They're under-shepherds. Elders are pastors. Pastors are elders. That's where the word pastor comes from. It means to shepherd. So what do good elders do? They shepherd. They pastor the flock. But something I want you to notice is just how ordinary most of these characteristics are. Think about it. Of these 14 things that Paul lists, Which of them does he not call all Christians to have? Yet what Paul is saying is that to be an elder, you must not only look to Christ for salvation, but to a certain extent, you must look like Christ. The outside world, even, should be able to look at an elder and say, that man is different. Because he loves Jesus Christ. What I love about our elders is how flawed they are, but how much they love you. All four of us are completely flawed, but what I love about my brothers is every time we meet together, 
we encourage each other, and we remind each other of the love of Jesus Christ. We get on our knees and we pray for Christ's flock because we love you, the great shepherd of the sheep. Not many of you know this, but the PCA is a, the denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, became a denomination 50 years ago because they left the mainline Presbyterian Church. They didn't leave the Presbyterian Church of the United States because of ecclesiology. Do you know why the PCA was founded? Because there was ministers within that denomination that no longer preached the gospel. They no longer preached the full divinity of Jesus Christ. They no longer preached the physical resurrection. They no longer preached that sinners needed grace. And do you know who led the charge to leave that denomination? Faithful elders. Because they knew that those who did not believe in Jesus Christ were wolves in sheep's clothing. I don't know of many men who are like your elders at Christ Presbyterian Church. Who love the Lord as much as they love the Lord. Who love their families. And who constantly are praying for you because they love you. As elders of this church, this is what we promise to do to go after you if we see you falling away. Be prepared for that. We pray that you never fall away, but if you do, we will come after you. This is what God has charged us to do. To become an elder, our BCO actually makes you take vows at your installation service. And I just want to read a couple of these vows, and then I'm going to be done. The first vow is, do you believe in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? The fourth vow is, do you accept the office of ruling elder in this church, and do you promise to faithfully to perform all the duties thereof, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Do you promise to strive for the purity and peace, unity and edification of the church? But here's what our vows don't ask. But they ask these, actually, when you become a member of the church. Do you completely rely upon Jesus Christ for your salvation? Do you see how ordinary that is? Do you promise to protect the sheep from the wolves? To desire the office of overseer, the office of elder, Paul says it is a noble task. But as our Lord says, To whom is given much will be demanded much. 
Christ Presbyterian Church, pray for men who look like Jesus, who can serve you, who can love you, and ultimately who can point you to Jesus Christ, your only hope of salvation. We offer you nothing except Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, Christ is coming again. We have nothing to offer you except the gospel of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray.